Hey, it's Travis. I wanted to take this moment to discuss our sponsor, BetterHelp. I used to think talking to a therapist was a sign of weakness until I started talking to one. It has really helped me limit the negative chatter that can infiltrate my brain. Therapy has helped me become a more insightful person, father, and husband. That's why I'm excited to tell you about BetterHelp. Their online platform makes finding a therapist incredibly easy. Fill out a brief questionnaire and you will be matched with a therapist in just a few days. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, or click the link in my show notes. In doing so, you will be helping this show and you will receive 10% off your first month. If you aren't clicking with your therapist, if you're not getting a good vibe, BetterHelp will allow you to switch your therapist at any time with no additional cost. Online therapy is a game changer for me. I have such an erratic schedule. I work nights, weekends, late, early, holidays, you name it. Being able to video call my therapist from my phone in a call room, at work, or in my car, or whatever, it's extremely convenient for me and it allows me the time and the, the place to actually get my therapy in. So if you're struggling, if you need to talk to somebody, go to betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes and they'll get you set up with somebody. This has been my thank you note to BetterHelp for supporting this show. Thank you for tuning into the Thank You Notes podcast. I'm Dr. Travis McVeigh and I love thank you notes so much I decided to make them into a podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Matt Tyler. He is a palliative care physician from outside of Chicago. He's better known as at how to train your doctor on Instagram. He drops truth bombs from the driver's seat of his car, talking about how palliative care and hospice are not the same thing, how to have hard talks with patients and their families, and how to prepare your loved ones for terminal illness. His videos have become a hit. Some of them have been viewed over half a million times. He was gracious enough to give me some of his time, so let's get into my talk with Dr. Matt Tyler. All right, welcome to the Thank You Notes podcast. I'm joined with Dr. Matt Tyler, a palliative care physician from outside of Chicago. Matt, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a late night Thank You Notes. This is the latest I've ever recorded. I love it. Yeah. If I, if at any point give a vibe that I just been hit by a bus, it's because we just put the kids down to bed. So it's been four hours of screaming and high energy leading up to this. So yeah, but not my game face. Okay. Well, let's see how this goes. I'm going to start you off with the same questions I ask everybody. Do you write thank you notes? I do. I credit my wife for really getting us into a routine and a regimen with this, but we pretty routinely write thank you notes for you know gifts, events, and, and, and things like that like the hand, the handwritten thing and everything. Awesome. What was the last one that you wrote for? Technically speaking, I got to be honest, every every note that I write in the patient chart is a thank you note because I, <laughs> I sign off with the, you know, thank you for allowing me to be part of the care and management of this patient. I know it's like sort of a meme in, in healthcare that we like write thank you for this interesting consult and like with sort of like a sarcastic like tone in our minds. But I, I truly do mean it to, to be involved in the care of very complex heart situations. It is a major honor to be brought onto these cases. And I know in my case too, it's often because someone on the team like like advocated for our involvement or they stuck their neck out in front of an attending or something that may have been uncomfortable at first, but 
behind every consult is someone like really wanting to do right by a patient. So uh, I, I write thank you at the every, every, at the end of every progress note, and I, I truly mean it. Uh, you mentioned that you just got your, your kids down. How many kids do you have? I have two. I have almost six-year-olds. It'll be six in a couple of weeks, and then a three-and-a-half-year-old. Okay. And I guess the, the three-year-old is probably not old enough, but does, does the six-year-old write thank you notes? They both are. We've been, we've been starting them young. The six-year-old's pretty good at writing them herself for the most part with a little coaching on spelling. And, and the three-year-old wants to do everything that the six-year-old does. So she uh, <laughs> insists on taking a crack at it. And, and you know, God, God love her. She, she does her best. But it, it is an exercise in patience to go through that exercise with the three-year-old who you have to, mm. you have to give them like one letter at a time and like dedicate like 10 seconds to every single letter that goes into that note. But she's got the enthusiasm. I love it. That's great. Yeah, I, I have a four-year-old and it's spelling out every single single letter. We're doing that, but yeah. she likes doing it. So hopefully something's rubbing off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so let's get into palliative care. Now, I came across your content because you, you were dropping some knowledge bombs to Instagram about what palliative care is. And the biggest, the first takeaway I took from your work was that palliative care is not hospice. I always thought that they were kind of interchangeable. Let's start with when did you know that you wanted to be a palliative care physician? That would have been intern year of residency. So I, like many people, did not start medical training with the intention to do palliative medicine. Uh, uh, truth be told, I went to medical school to plan to do psychiatry. I had a fascination with how the mind um, and the brain worked for quite a while leading up to that. And once I got into medical school, though, I found everything interesting, like all of anatomy and physiology, mm -hmm. but it was all so cool. And so like any medical student who couldn't decide what to do, I, I punted by choosing internal yes. medicine. And once I was in uh, intern year of internal medicine residency, I realized uh, I, I wasn't so into the model of the, you know, do what the doctor says of, of healthcare and really was interested in more of a, a service focused approach where I sit down with patients and say like, you know, what, what can we do for you? Like what, what can I as your doctor do for you to help you live better? And for that matter, what does living better even mean to you? And as the gears were turning with that sort of thought in my mind, I completely randomly had an elective in palliative medicine, like four months into intern year. And that was when the light bulb went on. I said, Oh, like this, this I, I need to do this like, forever. And I became like the, the palliative gunner in my <laughs> residency class from that moment forward. I mean, just, I, I ran with it from there. Uh, no, no regrets so far. I never looked back. That's awesome. So you do a three-year internal med medicine residency. Where did you do your residency at? Yeah. So uh, to clarify, go into palliative and hospice fellowship. They kind of take all, all comers. We've had folks from anesthesia, emergency medicine, psychiatry, surgery, um, uh, anyone. But I, I did my medical school at, um, University of Cincinnati College of Medicine, and then did residency and fellowship at Northwestern. The big, like I said, the big takeaway for me was that hospice and palliative care are not the same thing. Could you give us an example of one of your non-hospitative palliative care patients? What brought them to you and what kind of things do you do for him or her? Sure. Yeah. So the the definition of, of palliative medicine is it's specialized medical care for anyone with a serious illness, and the aim is to provide relief from the symptoms and stress of a serious illness, and we're support that's available to anyone of any stage at, at any age of illness, and ultimately our goal is to improve quality of life. 
So the typical things uh, that, that I would do in my day-to-day be helping out with complex symptom management, like pain related to uh, the metastatic cancer, for example, or I might help sit down with folks faced with a difficult decision in their healthcare. You know, for example, a, a family caregiver taking care of a loved one with dementia, and they're trying to decide what to do about weight loss and kind of walking mm-hmm. them through you kind know, of the feeding tubes and, and the good and the bad of that. And really, and anything in between related to quality of life for patients. So, I, my my main hat I wear is an inpatient palliative care consultant. Uh, so, I see I see most of my folks in the hospital, um, but I do work across the street in our cancer treatment center and have a, a clinic there as well. What's your favorite part of palliative care? You know, I actually dug up an old thank you note that I got from a patient that I think awesome really um, highlights what what I do and what I love about it. So would it be okay if I read a bit of that? Well, Matt, this is the Thank You Notes podcast. <laughs> I can't I can't keep you from reading thank you notes. So please share. Yeah. So um so I'll, I'm gonna change the name just for uh, the sake of, of, of privacy and respect for this person. But this is a patient I took care of uh, very early on as an attending many years ago. And after after she died, her, her husband sent me sent me this note. And I've carried it around with me every every day since then. Um, mm. Dear Dr. Tyler, I wanted to thank you for the outstanding care and counsel that you provided me and we'll call her Sarah during the course of her illness. As I look back on the many caring and outstanding people we worked with over the months, you were one of the constants that was there at almost all stages of this journey. Uh, your work in the early days to get her on a medication regimen that managed her pain effectively was a massive help. She was terrified that she wouldn't be able to do the simplest tasks again. With your help, she was able to do so much with the time she had. She went back to work, changed jobs, in fact, took road trips, took plane trips, and was able to feel self-worth and live the best life she could while managing the pain. The moment that stands out the most is the way that you talk to us through the discussion about what she wanted the end of her life to look like in the ICU. When I asked you to join that meeting, I had known what was coming, but it was still one of the hardest discussions I have ever been a part of. I'll remember your calm voice throughout laying out the options we had and pointing us toward what was possible. I'll remember talking to you and the oncologist in the hall and hearing your compliments about my handling of everything that I couldn't appreciate then, but certainly appreciate now. Even after a few weeks, I'm grateful that she died in the way that she wanted to die. She was at home surrounded by her family. It seems a small distinction, but the talk we had makes a world of difference. That first expression of her wishes during the meeting created a small victory and a monumental loss. Thank you for all that you did for us. Wow. Yeah, this is... Truth be told, this is actually the first time I've taken this note out and read it in over over five years, because uh, that was that was written just a few weeks after she died, and I I couldn't believe that with the emotion and the loss still being that raw, that this person would take the time to write a note like me, because I I did feel like a relatively small part of the care, but it, I mean the the ripple effect of kindness and just what we do as, as palliative docs is really just. It really, it really fills your bucket. It fills mm-hmm. your bucket, man. And I mean, that, that letter that I carry out with me, like keeps me going every day. No joke. Wonderful. Uh, do you go to a lot of patients' funerals? I've been to a couple, not, not a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the depth of relationship that we have with people, you know, varies as you might imagine. So uh, the ones that I get invited to, I, I go to, but it's not, not a lot, handful. It sounds like you you get a lot closer with your patients than most other physicians do, certainly more yeah. than I do. Yeah, that was a big draw to palliative medicine in in general. It was I could see very clearly like that was the specialty that allowed me to have those close relationship and deep relationships with folks. 
just happened to deal with people that were very sick. And however I'm wired, I guess it didn't bother me all that much because I just, those are the conversations I wanted to be having. What is the, what's the most difficult part of palliative care? Honestly, it is seeing in the many ways the system fails people. It, it's seeing the brokenness of the healthcare system on full display. We take care of some of the most vulnerable people that often have a hard time advocating for themselves. And uh, I mean, that's, that's just what sucks the most. And, and, a, and a couple examples, end-stage renal disease, who are on dialysis on, on a routine basis, they get to a point where things become very hard and the benefits of dialysis become very limited in terms of helping them do the, the things that they want to do. And yet, if they said, you know what, I really would like to just focus on comfort and spend the rest of my life at home to start hospice care, they have to stop dialysis. Uh, and mm-hmm. the second that you do that, you really start this timer over your head. That's like seven to 10 days. We don't wish that on anyone. And we don't force that timer on anyone with any other disease. Uh, you know, I, I get annoyed when we like squawk about how more people should be on hospice care. It's like, well, like, yeah, but like look, mm-hmm. look, look, look at these choices we force on people or you know, folks with any like, you know, advanced cancer or advanced heart failure who need more help at home, but we don't provide anything, right? We're like, okay, well, do you have thousands of dollars a month to pay for a caregiver? If not, I guess you're going to mm. like, move to a, a nursing home and use all your money until you qualify for Medicaid. It's just like the, yeah. the stuff that we force people to do and then sort of try to pretend like it's normal. And it, it's, it, that, that's the hardest part, honestly. It's, it's, not, it's not even remotely the, the end of life stuff or the dying stuff. It's mm-hmm. just seeing our the flaws of our system on, on full display. I didn't, I didn't write this question down, but it just kind of came to me. Uh, has your work in palliative care kind of shaped your own thoughts about death in general, death of family members, your own, your own death? I, th- I think so. Yeah. I certainly talk more openly about it. Um, my, my wife has great graciously kind of built this into how she thinks about things too. Cause she's, she's not medical to, mm-hmm. to be clear, but I talk quite frankly about it with, with the kids even, even now. And they say, you know, like what happened to, to great grandma? I say, well, she, she died and try to keep a euphemisms to, to a minimum. I, you know, I, I'm sure this is true for you too, but I'm still kind of the, the, the go-to person in the family for, for all things medical and, and friends kind of reach out to me for advice about, you know, this, this or that family member who's getting sick and they're wondering like, well, should we be thinking about hospice care and how do we get out of care for, for grandma or grandpa? Yeah. And, and overall, I think, uh, and related, related to what you're doing here, it certainly makes me just more grateful for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, doing this kind of work changes your filter for, for what counts as BS, you know? Yeah. It helps you, it helps you kind of push through that and got to recognize like what matters and, and what doesn't like really matter. And, uh, it allows me to kind of just move on each day and wake up and start a new day. Pretty, pretty fresh for the most part. And I'm very grateful for that. At least amongst doctors, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, you know, nobody's on their deathbed wishing that they'd worked more. Nobody's on their yeah. deathbed, yeah. you know, fill in something there. But you're actually at these deathbeds pretty frequently. So I've not encountered a patient who wished they'd, they'd worked more. And it, it really is uh, gratitude's on full display at the, at the end of life. Uh, one, of, one of the visionaries in our field, Dr. Ira Bayek, uh, he's written several books, but one of the books that he wrote are the, the four things that matter most, sort of the, the things that matter most for living well and, and dying well. And, and the four things are, I forgive you, 
please forgive me. I love you. And, and thank you. Um, mm-hmm. kind of it's right there at the cornerstone of dying well in the sense of feeling whole and like you've kind of tied up as many loose ends as, as one can realistically but yeah gratitude's a big piece of that and i, I, I certainly see that with, with folks i take care of folks to be grateful for the relationship they have the, the things that they accomplished um and it always tends to be more kind of transcendent relational you know legacy type work rather than you know the the tps reports yeah what what kind of team are you working with today on a regular basis because it sounds like you you provide so many things for patients it it can't all just fall on you yeah so palliative palliative care is multidisciplinary at heart um thing with palliative care teams is if you've met one team you've met one team so my my team is is truthfully myself and, and a nurse practitioner other teams will often include a social worker, chaplain, uh, an RN. Um, those are kind of the, the main pieces. And sometimes you get lucky and get like a pharmacist or, or mm-hmm. a volunteer or, or things like that. But uh, I definitely work very closely with the rest of the, the team members of, of our hospital, you know, coordinate with physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech pathology, dietitians, uh, nurse navigators, like everyone. Yeah. It really is a, it's a team sport for sure. Now, when did you start making videos on, I, I know you're on YouTube and Instagram. When did you start doing that? I started on YouTube actually a, about a year ago now. I was making mostly long form videos back then, trying to give people more education and guidance about navigating the healthcare system in particular when you're dealing with a serious illness like a cancer or dementia helping folks you know, position themselves for success to make the most out of their time with their docs um, and help them think about the future and think about things their doc may not necessarily bring up, like code status or uh, advanced directives and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, as, as you might expect, being a full-time doc with a, a three and a, and a five-year-old, it, it's hard to make space for that. Um, mm-hmm. And what I found myself having a lot more time for was, was spouting off in my car before I yeah. came, came inside for the day. So amongst those longer form videos, I started just like sharing 30 seconds to 60 seconds of my thoughts, like literally in the car before I parked. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the quietest place in my life. And I was putting those on YouTube also. And I happened to be getting coffee with a friend who was looking at some of the videos. And she said, oh, you should you should really put these on, on Instagram. <laughs> and I was like, oh, why? Okay. Like, I don't I don't know anything about Instagram. I had, I had an account, but I didn't use it. But I luckily listened to her and, and put maybe like five or six of the, the short forms on, on there as reels. And the one that happened to blow up in particular was the one where I talked about hospice, you know, not being for people who wanted to die, but for people who wanted to live just on their own terms and encouraging people to not ask people like, if they want to die, but how they want to live. And that one just went like gangbusters and grew to like half a million people viewed that one. and. I got a ton of messages, a ton of support, people saying, oh my God, like, thank you for saying this and talking about this, like, make more of these, keep going. And that's sort of, for the most part, I kind of pivoted just to doing the, the short form stuff that I still, I still post to YouTube and Instagram, but really started designing my content for Instagram in particular. It's kind of nice with your specialty being as multidisciplinary as it, as it is, so that you're getting like nurses and OTs and all, all of those specialties that come on to Instagram or to, to all the other platforms, you're, you kind of appeal to that large of an audience. So it's, 
who are you making these for? You know, the main person that I am talking to is someone living with a serious illness like cancer or heart failure or, or someone who's a caregiver taking care of someone with, with a serious illness like dementia. And it was really in direct response to one of the most common interactions I would have with a, a patient or their family at, at the end of my conversation with them. I always ask, what, what questions do you have? And the most common response I get is they'd say, I have no idea what I should be asking right now. I have no idea what I should be doing right now. You know, when I'm working with them one-on-one at the bedside, I, you know, we kind of talk about that and say, okay, well, let's, you know, let's review what we talked about. And uh, if there are things that I think they're like missing or should be asking, I, I tell them in that moment, mm-hmm. or I simply tell them like, you are doing everything and it's totally normal to second guess yourself. And I provide that reassurance. Mm-hmm. And then I think about all the folks out there who don't have a, a palliative doc, like need to walk them through that and to reassure them. And I wanted to create something for them too. I wanted to have a kind of a library of, of resources, uh, both practical and, and reassuring that if folks were, you know, Googling in the middle of the night as we do, like my hope is that they find my stuff and, and find mm-hmm. something helpful there. So that's really who I created that for is just people needing guidance about some tricky, complicated stuff that there's not really a comprehensive resource for that kind of covers the whole span of pragmatic and emotional and grieving and everything. And certainly along the way, healthcare folks have found me and have, have followed me as well. And I think I'm providing some valuable education to, to folks too, um, as evidenced by we're having this conversation. And that's been yes. a, a really, a really cool side effect to what I've been doing. So if you could, let's, let's just say you had access to the TV in every doctor's lounge throughout America. Do you have like a video that you've made that you'd want to play or what would the video say? Like, what would you want to tell doctors throughout the U.S.? I think simply my message to the docs and healthcare people is, is the exact same one I'd have for, for patients and families, which is palliative care improves quality of life, mm-hmm. full stop. And I think that's really our rallying cry. Uh, there's a paper that palliative care champions really like to bandy around, which is this one from 2010 that showed there was some mortality benefit to, to having palliative care involved early on. Mm-hmm. In particular, for folks with stage four lung cancer, non-small cell lung cancer, like we just went nuts for, as you might imagine, because we all like we sort of get treated like the lifestyle specialty, right? Like, oh yeah, like palliative like is great if like you're into comfort and stuff. When we've been trying to say for years, like we're, no, it's like we're not a lifestyle choice. We're mm-hmm. we're extra support and we improve quality of life for anyone, even if you want to live as long as possible. And then this paper came out. We're like, like see, like we we improve <laughs> mortality and and quality of life. But that's so tricky because that was at like MD Anderson. So like an, an elite center, like full of massive amounts of support. Um, mm-hmm. Hasn't been really reproduced really robustly since then, even by the same team with, uh, with mm. different types of cancer. But the one thing that does keep getting reproduced over and over again is that we improve quality of life. Just full stop for anyone. It, you know, if, if people happen to live longer too, like awesome. But uh, we're, we're here to improve quality of life. And I think that's really what, the, the point that we need to get across because we're, we're losing the battle on messaging. Honestly, um, our, one of our national organizations, CAPSI, the center to advance palliative care, uh, and been surveying the public and healthcare providers over the years for over a decade. Now, back in 2019, we're comparing survey results from lay people and healthcare providers from 2019 compared to 2009. And it showed still like half the general population has no idea what we are like flip a coin. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've heard of us. Maybe they haven't. 
meanwhile, healthcare folks feel very comfortable with us now. They feel like they have a very good idea of what we do, but they don't. Like they 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 think mm-hmm. we're hospice. They think we're end of life care when we're really meant to be way more upstream and from time of diagnosis to start providing that support right away. So being a Missouri guy from the Show Me State, you know the kind of mm-hmm. other you know, motive of my channel was to show rather than tell. Like it's like yes. these are the things that palliative care doc talks about and does and. And helps people with rather than trying to just uh get people to accept the definition i just wanted to start showing people what we do and and hope they rally behind it well i mean that you have two choices you just be angry that nobody understands you or you could broadcast to the world and maybe yeah, change the, a few minds yeah that, that's that was my take on it the onus is on us to do something differently as we say in palliative care we're all about meeting people where we're at and mm-hmm. i think that includes our, our colleagues and healthcare professionals too we're not going to win any friends by wagging our fingers and, and yelling at people it's just you know keep doing the work and think about other creative ways to show people what we do and yeah this is this is my response to that all right matt i have written you a thank you note let me pull it out here all right it says, Dear Matt, thank you for spreading your message about communication with patients. I encounter so many difficulties at work just due to false expectations, largely from people not wanting to share hard truths with patients. Your videos have taught me about resources I was not even aware of and may be more cognizant of the way I communicate with families and patients. Keep fighting the good fight. Everyone in medicine stands to benefit in some fashion from your videos and your overall content. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I I think the videos of yours that I respond to the most are the ones about having hard conversations, about hard truths, because I'm frequently faced with people at one of the worst moments of their life. And, you know, Granny Nate may not be getting up from after surgery. And so should we even have the surgeries? A lot of people want to, you know, will say, hey, you know, maybe this will happen or maybe this. And I, doctors especially are, are hard pressed to look at their own limitations, the limitations of medicine in general. I was actually reading a book today is that optimism positivity is not ignoring pain or negative consequences. It's just saying that things can be positive in spite of that. And so yeah. you can do everything that you're that you can do for the patient. You can do the very best that you can do and that is available. But I, I think we all need to get comfortable with the the downsides of everything that we do in our own limitations. And I think that your videos are very, very good and insightful and encouraging for all of us to have those conversations. So thank you for putting that out there. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I I, I think that is uh very, very well said, and my hope is that we can get a bit more of a, a healthy relationship with knowing that everything has a limit, our lives have a limit, medicine has a limit, and that doesn't translate to to death being a failure. I think that's as much as birth is a failure, right? There's equally occurring events in, in our lifespan. You know, I, I know you with, with Ars Longa Media are just big on mental health and, and that mission, and I think the more comfortable we get with our limits as physicians practicing modern medicine, and this notion that we can't do everything for everyone all the time and being okay with that, I think is essential for just getting through healthcare training with our mental health intact. Yeah, that's a tall order. <laughs> yeah. You have you have brought a thank you note of your own. Uh, who's it to? I have two, actually. The first two. one is to my brother, Brian, who's, mm-hmm. whose birthday's today, actually. Um, okay, so happy wanted- birthday, Brian. 
Yeah, thank you. So um, for a, a little bit of background, uh, my, my brother Brian is two and a half years younger than me, and he was born with a very severe cognitive disability. Uh, so he, mm-hmm. he lives at home with my mom. She's his full-time caregiver. And growing up, I was uh, I played a caregiver role for, for him too. And really growing up with him and seeing my mom try to navigate the healthcare system to advocate for him, like tooth and nail, uh, certainly had a major impact on me and was a major source of inspiration to go into medicine in, in the first place. With that background in mind, this is, this is my thank you note to Brian. Brian, I, I don't exactly know what you call a typical brother relationship, but if such a thing does exist, it seems safe to say we don't have it. We never had a heart-to-heart talk. We never had a fight with each other either. And yet, with every life choice I've made, I've tried my damnedest to do right by you. Thank you for teaching me never to make assumptions about another person's life. Thank you for teaching me to see how many gifts I've been given and for teaching me to not take those gifts for granted. Thank you for trying to teach me to be content. You're still better at it than me, but you're my inspiration, man. Happy birthday, buddy. Love you. That's awesome. Do they live close by? Or are you? They live, uh, so I grew up in St. Louis and, and they still, okay. live, we try to get down there a few times a year. But mm-hmm. so he's, he's nonverbal and kind of uses a little bit of sign language to, to communicate. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we've had, we've had a different relationship, you might say. Sounds like it. But he's made so you've a, been a palliative care provider your whole life. A little bit. I certainly grew yeah. up with, with chronic illness and that may be related to some of my comfort level with it, feeling mm-hmm. very much like a fish in water to, to some extent. Okay, so who's thank you note number two addressed? This to? one is to to you actually. I wrote your oh, thank you yes. note. I thought you deserved one for for putting such a cool thing together. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Actually, the last guy I did one with wrote me a thank you note, and it was the first time it had ever happened in like twenty episodes. And that episode it hasn't dropped, and it won't drop for a while. But I, no, I really appreciate that. So Travis, thank you for inviting me to come chat about palliative care on the Thank You Notes podcast. I love your mission and can certainly confirm that gratitude is what sustains us through the entire arc of our lives. Keep going. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for writing that. I, I, I I'm not in this for uh, the kudos or the thanks, but it, it, it's nice to hear it. Thank you very much. No, I think we're all similarly driven by a passion because it's uh, mm-hmm. certainly not replacing our day jobs anytime soon. I can imagine. Okay, Matt, we're winding down here. Now, I was reading your YouTube profile, and it says one of the things that you like to do is play video games with your kids. So what is your favorite video game of all time and why? That's a really tough one. I think I'm going to go with Legend of Zelda for SNES. Okay, uh, A Link to the Past. A Link to the Past, yeah, man. I think that was just... You know, so eye-opening, just the, the expansiveness of the world and the whole feeling of adventure was just something like I'd never experienced before. And just feeling like, it really made you feel like a hero in that game. Uh, yeah. It was so cool. And I feel like that's just a, a magic that every other game's been, been chasing ever since that. So yeah, that's, that was a big one. My, my kids and I these days were very big into Mario Party on Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a lot of fun too. Yeah, I I played a lot of Zelda SNES in the past, and I had to retire from video games just because it was taking over too much of my life, so I ended up selling my Switch, but I think my daughter oh, would enjoy playing that. Yeah, well, if you ever want to talk Rex for a four-year-old, I'm, I'm your guy. I'd be okay. happy to, to pitch you on getting another <laughs> Nintendo Switch. Oh, man. 
And there's a new. It, it was Breath of the Wild. I just I had to get I had oh. to get rid of it. I had to get it out yeah. of the house. Yeah. Oh, what a what a great experience it is though. But it it, it sucks you in. It's a, it's a mm-hmm. it's a masterpiece. All right, Dr. Matt Tyler, thank you for joining me tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Big thank you to Matt for jumping on this very late night edition of the Thank You Notes podcast. Please follow him on Instagram at How to Train Your Doctor. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also, another big thank you to Toy Sauce for letting us use their music for free. Please like, rate five stars, and review this show on whatever podcast platform you're using. And please follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Thank You Notes Pod. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.